Washington football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got poop. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? You just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Sam Monson here with Eric Eager. Steve, Steve, not here. Steve gone. I was supposed to be here anyway. You were. You were. You were but, a guest anyway. But Steve, uh, Steve's uh, out. Now you've been promoted. You're a headliner. You're I part am. of the main act. It um, feels good. Feels yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, apparently the entire family down with some kind of stomach virus. We've all been there, but few, very few of us have been there with four kids. Well, not only that, but like. With the Palazzolo family, it's not just it's it, you're you're using integers when you should be using like height, right? So like that that's like eight people worth of sickness with the Palazzolo family. I mean, the worst thing I would imagine in that scenario is the bathroom to person ratio. You know, yeah, yeah. you need to be you need to be covered with a bowl for everybody, and that that's yeah. in danger of, of getting that. These kids are adorable, a lot of fun. I can't imagine they are so though when they're all sick. I don't imagine anybody is that fun when everybody's sick. Uh, so, no Steve today. We'll see you back tomorrow. That's a that's a problem for later. But for now, it's me and Eric and Doctor Eric Eager is co-host of the PFF, uh, the NFL forecast. Just the PFF, PFF forecast, forecast. Just forecast. Just yeah, the PFF forecast. Myself and uh, the affable George Shahuri. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we we uh, Wednesday nights and Sunday late nights. Right. Uh, as we got uh, off the ground this week uh, at 12 Eastern. Um, to recap, a, a weird NFL week, Sam. Nine yeah. underdogs winning outright, uh, 12 of them covering the spread. Very much uh, a very interesting week for the NFL. Now, you guys represent really the first um, the first mathematical competency <laughs> to be brought into PFF. People think of PFF as you know this analytics company and at the forefront of, of this analytics world, which we are. But the whole thing started essentially without anybody having any kind of mathematical expertise we did the player grading and we stitched this whole, whole thing together and then we you know we promoted this as a product as a as a uh, an important thing to know mm -hmm. but it wasn't until you guys came on board and started to actually use this data to create m most of the you know the, the real analytical insights that we're able to do now yeah i think i mean at, at the time that pf started that i was not a member but i was very much a fan um you know, football was still solving the what questions, right? right? Like, uh, what is a good pass rusher? What is a good offensive lineman, right? We didn't have stats for offensive linemen uh, other than games started, and that's how you got guys like uh, Chris Chester having more pro football reference approximate value in 2016 than Marshall Yonda because you had, like, these weird formulas that would try to, you know, proxy for how well linemen played based upon other things and obviously could not, you know, could had to come up short in many ways. Um, I think, you know, and, and it's just such a Trevor treasure trove, but a lot of people are doing the what now, like we have uh, next gen stats, we have, you know, other companies that try to, to collect data on every single player of every play of every game. I think what we strive to do, you know, myself and then the, the folks in my team, you know, the George or the Timo Riskies, the Kevin Coles, the, the Brad Spielbergers, Ben Brown and so forth, like. We're trying to be the so what, you know, what does this mean? Like we, we see a week where all this stuff happens in the NFL and what does that mean moving forward? Does it mean anything? Uh, a lot of times in football, we, we, we gravitate and fall in love with things that might not be all that important, or we overlook things that are. And, and, you know, I think over time we've become a little bit more intelligent about that. And if you want to read some of those insights, you got to get yourself a PFF you subscription. Do, you do. See how smooth that was? I don't need to. So I can, good, I can do the ad reads without him. It's fine. Uh, week one's in the books. All the PFF data, the grades, every single player who logged a snap is in the system, along with everybody that's logged a snap in all the years we've been grading. 
Um, if you get yourself a PFF subscription, you get all of PFF's locked article content. You get the college football betting dashboards. You get our grade powered projections, cover probabilities, betting values. You get the zero to 100 grades on every single player, including the top rookies on every team. Player prop tool, which shows the uh, plus minus value for every NFL prop and loads, loads more. So check out the highest graded players from week one. Look to find early value on the spread picks and player props for week two. Dive in to your PFF subscription. Look, we don't need Steve. All you right. were, you were, I mean, fantastic at that. I'll take Thank the Manscaped read though, please. Oh, pre- I, do we even have one? I haven't, I haven't checked it. That that comes and goes. I'm not quite sure what the uh, well, what just the like the is. thing that Manscaped is trying to take take care of. Right? Look, I'm, I'm not going to question the way they do business. I'm just saying that sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. And I will say that when it's there, it's a happier podcast for everybody. Everybody enjoys the Manscaped read. Um, so let's start with week one is always crazy. Um, and around this time, it's like looking back, what actually meant something and what was just weird mm-hmm. week one variants. So yeah. from week one, from your perspective, what did you come away with thinking, all right, this is actually definitely different from what I thought going in? Well, now it might not matter all that much in the future. And in fact, I did this study for a different show I was on yesterday. Um, if you look at season ending record, your PFF ELO power ranking or whatever power ranking you want to use, they're all basically correlated with each other that matters a lot more than the change in your power ranking from week one to week two. So right. a lot of times, like we we love, and the, look, we love the game. There, there's a lot to love about the game. There's nothing wrong with talking about what happened. The The issue is, is a lot of times it's, you know, like last year, week one, what did we have? We had an 11 and five Browns team get blown out in week <laughs> one. We had, um, who, was, who else lost week one? We had an 11-5 Colts team lose outright to what ended up being a 1-15 Jacksonville team. Right. There were a few other 10-win or more teams that got blown out or, or lost in week one of last season. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks won the Super Bowl, lost week one to, in convincing well, fashion Remember the New first Orleans. couple of weeks last year, it was like the Patriots are going to be great. Cam Newton's dominating. Right. Like, this is fantastic. Don't worry about it. They stomped Miami. Yep. And then, obviously, that fell apart. Yeah, and so in that respect, I'm, I'm going to say – you know, don't take as much out of it as you want. Right. But there were some thematic things about this week that I thought w- was interesting. And one of them is, you know, if you can find mismatches in the trenches, they, I think, can carry at least for that one week. So, for example, Philadelphia, I, you know, skill position players played fine on Sunday, but I don't think they're going to be great, at least this season. Jalen Hurts played a good game, although his average depth of target was less than four yards. Um, defense, I don't think they're going to be great in the secondary, um, but they played fine in week one. But they had a sizable advantage against Atlanta in the trenches, and they pressed it continuously, and they won that game. The Green Bay Packers against New Orleans Saints, I called the Green Bay Packers run defense on the live show gooey. gooey they very much lived up to gooeyness <laughs> in giving up one, I believe it was what, 177 on the ground to the Saints. And then that obviously left Jameis Winston with some layups uh, to, to exploit. Like... I think that matchup is always going to hurt Green Bay. I always think Green Bay is going to look soft against tough teams, but that doesn't mean Green Bay can't win the division. In fact, Green Bay, after this week, a week in which all four NFC North teams right. went winless, they became more favored to win the North <laughs> in the betting markets, despite having probably the worst performance of the four teams. So, um, you know, Cleveland, for example, like week one probably doesn't tell me anything about cleveland negatively even though all the consequences are going to be negative right if they want to be the one seed in the afc they have a sizable handicap now by having a one loss to kansas city but they were a fantastic team so um those are kind of things that stuck out to me buffalo you know buffalo you had the regression with allen um in los angeles you did not have the regression with herbert in fact Herbert did more random ass shit in that game <laughs> than than uh, than uh, he did last season, where he was so great under pressure. The funny thing with Allen, though, is so he was okay in that game. It looked a lot more like old Josh Allen before last year, but then so did Josh Allen in Week One last year. Like Josh Allen, Week One last year had a grade of like sixty five against the Jets, and it wasn't until like the next three weeks yeah. where he went on this run of like ninety plus grades. But wasn't he efficient in that game? Like, like Josh Allen wasn't good in our system, and he wasn't good in real life either. Like, 
not to say our system isn't real life, but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, his yeah. underlying data, you know, he certainly emerged in our eyes later in the season, but them from a football, like it was his first 300 yard game in the NFL yeah. all time last year. And was he was accurate. I, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying there, there are a lot of sort of comparisons between yes. week one. Like it's easy to look at week one this year and be like, I oh, see there's the regression. Like yeah. we told you he was never going to be at this 90, but again, week one last year, he wasn't either. Yeah. And we the Steelers, eat their Wheaties on defense. Like, yeah. they're not a terrible defense for, you know, no, for Certainly sure. nobody was coming out of week one last year and it's like, oh, look at this seismic jump forward from Josh Allen. Eat your words, everybody that said he wasn't a good quarterback. Yeah. It wasn't until like the next few weeks we were like, oh, wow, is this actually for real? Is this going to be a thing this year? Yeah, I think that's true. And um, the fantasy football people, I think, were more on it because he, you know, threw for 312, ran for 57, three right. total touchdowns. That was, but like from a fundamental football standpoint, it probably wasn't until, you know, maybe that San Francisco game that they played in Arizona last year where he really sort of like, you know, made that offense unstoppable. And obviously the Pittsburgh game, um, you know, where especially in the second half, he was fantastic throwing to Stephon Diggs. That just didn't materialize Sunday. And you have to be worried if you're, if you're, uh, Buffalo because, I don't know. What did you? So here's a question. What did you take from the Miami New England game? Because I I clearly think New England should have won the game. I think they're yeah. the better team. Um, you know, I had some bets on Miami in the under, so I was happy because <laughs> it ended up being okay. But but watching that game back, I very much felt very much felt lucky that that ended up being the outcome. Yeah. Do you think that those were two teams that were a, a class below the good teams in the AFC, just playing a close game? Yeah. Or were they two teams? that were good teams playing a close game and now Miami has kind of a, ni a nice leg up on the whole division having won. If I'm one of the best teams in the AFC, I'm not scared by either of those teams, but I yeah. think they're both pretty good sides. Like, I do think that New England, I mean, they were definitely unfortunate to win that game. Everyone's coming out of it saying, you know, Mac Jones only had 16 points and like yeah. the numbers aren't there. Like after the first couple of snaps, he looked ridiculous. Like he almost did like this Aaron Brooks thing of like spinning in a circle and throwing the ball backwards when he got pressured in the first couple of snaps. It looked absurd. And then all of a sudden it was like he settled down and realized, you know what, hang on, what? we're done. That, that was, I don't know what happened there. It was like a weird spasm, but now I'm in, I'm in the groove. And then he started to look good. He was driving for the win. He should have had his first, you know, game winning drive in the NFL but didn't, so we're kind of overlooking it. I still think the Patriots with Mac Jones are going to be pretty good this year, yeah. especially if their running backs don't fumble the ball away yeah. on a constant basis. I mean, he looked every bit – I thought he looked every bit the part, you know, and, and um, you know, moving around nicely in the pocket. He's not a statue back there. Right. Um, you know, I, I liked what I saw. You know, James White is back into the fold after a year of being a guy who kind of was lost in the shuffle. He has always, to me, been one of the most valuable running backs in the NFL. He showed that in, in spades a little bit. Jacoby Myers is fine. You saw some athleticism out of Jonu Smith, which is sorely missed by the tight ends yeah. last year. Um, that, that was fantastic. Think about this, though, again. How crazy is this? So we talked about this on the live show Sunday, which you should watch this Sunday if you want to preview NFL Week 2. Miami last season was 25th in yards per play allowed. Like one spot ahead of the Raiders, a right. team that everybody thought is terrible defense. But of course, they were first in turnovers generated per drive. They gave up 5.6 yards per play against New England, and but gets two immaculate turnovers at you know at key spots to sort of win that game. At some point in the betting markets, fading Miami is going to be profitable. Does it start this week right. with Buffalo? Buffalo still. I mean, this is this is a very respectful line for Buffalo after what we saw with some fundamental flaws. Week they're laying three and a half. Yeah, like, against the Dolphins on the road this week. Like, I still don't think the market respects the Dolphins, and I think that's probably rational. Yeah, if, if I'm Buffalo, I'm, def I'm not massively scared by either of these two teams either. The interesting thing, though, comes like after week two, where all of a sudden, like one week, anything can happen. You get weird results, yeah. and being 0-1 is nothing, right? But all of a sudden, 0-2, particularly when like the losses come at the expense of some other teams in your division, like suddenly you have a problem. If you're Buffalo and you lose this week, now yeah. Miami's jumped ahead by two. And if you're Baltimore as well, all of a sudden you're 0-2 with you know Cleveland-Pittsburgh potentially running oh, away. Oh, but even think about this. If you're the AFC South, Colts are at home this week. They're, they're now, I bet them at plus four. They're plus three and a half against the Rams. Very decent chance to go 0-2. Yeah. And the Tennessee Titans fresh off of, and I got to explain that, like 
if you looked at our simulation tool last week, like yesterday for three hours or so, <laughs> there was a time which Tennessee went from having a projected nine and a half wins in week one to five and a half wins. And the reason was, is our model game to game really weighs offensive play caller ranking and Todd Downing through one week, like somehow broke the system. <laughs> he was so bad. He was like 11 standard deviations below average as a play caller. And I literally have never seen that before. So I had like, you know, Timo, like a bunch of people in my group messaged me like, hey, what's up with Tennessee? And right. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Because like when I when I look at the <laughs> rankings, I'm like, oh, the top teams look good. The bottom teams look good. Literally okay, it all, it all makes the sense. model. And then Tennessee's out there like with, you know, and, and I look and it's Todd Downing, who I think we all thought was going to be bad. But my goodness and now so we corrected of course now tennessee's projected about eight wins which i think is fair given how they played yeah. and they're five and a half point underdogs in seattle seattle by the way in a weird week played a remarkably normal game for seattle i'm but i'm so mad when what was the news that made me do it some when some oh the, the carson wentz thing right when carson wentz had the foot thing it was like yeah. this is six to 12 weeks whatever i immediately put money on Jacksonville to win the division. I should have put money on Houston to win the division. <laughs> We'd have been live. I was like, if you can't, if there's a few people somewhere with like Houston for the AFC South tickets that must be laughing after week one, particularly like I, it may only last week one, but now when you're looking at like who people are playing in week two, you're like eh, that might last I a couple actually, of weeks. I mean, so yeah, cause, cause there's a very good chance that both Indianapolis and Tennessee go into their matchup in week three, both Owen two. Right. Um, it, for our money, I, I think it's going to be the Colts, and I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the. I'm, I'm a huge fan of of the way the Colts do a lot of things. I think where it counts the most, they're not, they're, they're, they've hit on some bad luck, right? Yeah. Quarterback, you know, T.Y. Hilton was really their only good receiver. Pascal and and Pittman are fine, but like the the Colts weirdly found themselves in a position where they hit on a lot of good players at non-premium positions which has stuck them in a bind at places like corner and wide yeah, out they they were quarterback really, they were a really interesting team in terms of how they're constructing this roster because they 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 are clearly quite a smart franchise overall right yeah but, especially in game i think that they do yeah. a really good job in game and they've been drafting really well relative to other people you know whatever the variance is there in terms of how sustainable long-term you know a, a long-term edge in drafting just better than other people is they have been doing it really well recently but all of the the hits and all of the resources in terms of second contracts have gone into these non-premium positions at some point that has to be a problem right like you can't keep giving all the money to the guard and the linebacker and you know all these sort of non-premium spots without hit without sort of balancing it out by making some real home runs at like legitimately premium positions like if they don't draft a, like either a quarterback or a number one corner or a wide receiver that's a superstar in the next couple of years they're in trouble right they can yeah but you can't you can't hit on those those draft picks if you don't make them and like the hard part is, so you look at the 2018 season when they got the bounty of picks for the Sam Darnold trade, their top two picks were guard linebacker. And they're both home runs, you know, Nelson right. and and, and uh, Leonard. Brayden Smith was a guard and who's now a right tackle. They at least like extracted him from a very yeah. low value position to an okay at right tackle. Their top three picks all deserve contract extensions. And of course, like, this is also one of the leaks in the NFL, which is general managers like rewarding themselves when they reward players with contracts. It's a trophy. Look at me. Look how well I drafted. But then, you know, in that draft, you also went, you know, Naheem Hines in the fourth round. They gave him a draft. They give him a contract as well. But then in, in subsequent drafts, you're looking at, you know, not having a first round pick, using your first round pick in 2020 on a defensive tackle into Forrest Buckner, who's a again one of the best players in the NFL at his position, but not at a premium position. Jonathan Taylor, second round pick, not a premium position. Safety of Julian Blackman, not a premium position. And then this past year, at least in round one, they went ahead with Quiddy Pay, who you know does play a premium position. But as you said, like you're taking a lot fewer gambles at those premium positions than other teams and your likelihood therefore of hitting on a few of them which is what you need is a, is lower i want to get into some emails that we've been sent but first uh, i gotta give a shout out to our friends at fantrax eric fantrax is free fantasy football league manager it's the most customizable easy to use and feature rich platform in the entire industry pff is playing our leagues on fantrax this season 
they have multi-team trades. They've got bonus points for touchdowns of different yardages. Uh, create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league plus $6,000. That's that's a pretty good deal. Uh, where would you want to go? That's promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. Now, we've been getting emails sent into us, NFL podcast singular at PFF.com. Um, and I'm a big fan of them because some some are just like little comments. Some are, you know, ideas that we could talk about, segment type things. We've been talking about this idea of uh, quarterback. Everybody's shooting for the, the new Patrick Mahomes, right? That's yes. what you're, you're aiming for when you come to quarterbacks. But we have been using this term, the Matt Ryan inflection point, right? When you rank quarterbacks, mm-hmm. that's your line. Yep. If you get a guy that's better than Matt Ryan has been throughout his career, you're golden. If it's below that, you now enter this murky gray area of... And we're talking about Ryan circa like 17. Not 16, but not the Washington. Not MVP Ryan, not bad Ryan, the usual one. Um, And if you're you're like a little bit below that, you're in that weird world of, well, do we want to commit the big money contract to this guy? Anyway, uh, somebody called... uh, Ooh, hang on. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Somebody called Ricardo Zuppelli. Nice. emailed in saying greetings sirs a huge fan of what you guys do but this recent matt ryan related term seems to touch wordy would the ryan rubicon not be a more alliterative and easier on the tongue what do you think about that as a uh, yeah as a man that has to name things like this i i like it um i actually i don't know if you saw my tweets last night um but i also i i, I called it the kirk club okay. which is like the the group but right beneath uh, Those are the guys just below the Ryan. Yeah, like, you're talking about like Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jared Goff possibly. Uh, I think some people hate Goff so much they yeah. don't even want him in that group. Right. Tannehill. I said Tannehill had the Kirkiest of Kirk games. <laughs> uh, on Sunday, but I do like it. I, I like thinking about quarterbacks in those tiers because because it it is it's hard, right? Because like take Ryan for example, Ryan is probably not good enough to win a championship with at price. Right. And the the bar is different depending upon whether or not you're you're on a rookie deal or whether you're on a veteran deal. The the veteran deal means that you not only have to be a good quarterback by yourself. You have to be a good quarterback who elevates players around you That's because the important thing. because otherwise and, and this is what one of the reasons I look at like wins above replacement per dollar spent not on just quarterback but on quarterback, wide receiver, O-line, tight end, because we know that quarterbacks protect their offensive line, especially the good ones. You watch Patrick Mahomes Sunday with that that um, revamped offensive line, and, and I actually was extremely impressed with not how that O-line played, but how intentional Pat was about the space that he used up in the pocket. I thought for the first time in his career, he he that was the best he's ever played in the pocket, in my opinion. And... That's why, and so he makes a lot of money, but guess what? The right side of the Chiefs offensive line is a bunch of players on rookie deals who've never played a snap before. Right. If you can make those guys average by virtue of being great, then I'll pay you whatever you want. If you are like Kirk Cousins, who individually is good, who, when you look at stats like CPOE, um, jet, by the throw he may, he's making, he does well over expectation, but he doesn't elevate the play of those around yeah. him. Like, I'm just not going to pay him anything. Like, and And when the guy's on a rookie deal... You, it doesn't matter because you can pay $16 million for Sammy Watkins, guaranteeing you a good third option as a wide receiver. You can pay up for, you know, like DeAndre Hopkins in the case of Arizona because you're paying Kyler hardly anything. Like, though, it's very – and I think tiering quarterbacks that way is an important way to think about it. Like, if you're a Kirk on a rookie deal, I can win a Super Bowl with you. If you're a Kirk on a Kirk deal, I can't win a Super Bowl with yeah. you. It, it's why that line, I think, is really important because if you're above that line – we can start talking about how high we push yes. your money because we we you make other people better. But if you're not, if you're not sure that guy does that, it, it's a whole different question. So this, let me read you this email because I think this is an interesting way of looking at this whole discussion. Uh, who's this? Jean-Paul Ver, well, hang on, he told me how to pronounce his name. Jean-Paul Ver, just spelled V-E-I-L-L-E-U-X. Nice. Um, 
says, all right, I know I'm late responding to last Thursday's podcast, but I wanted to touch on something you guys are talking about, about how teams should be chasing elite quarterbacks because most of the Super Bowl winning teams in the last 20 years have been helmed by those elite guys. Um, he understands the point about how the numbers seem to indicate that you need an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl. So logically, you want to try and land one of these guys on your team. However, the number you guys didn't bring up was 450. Because in the last 20 years, teams have started over 450 different quarterbacks. And while that includes quarterbacks that have started on multiple different teams, even if you strip out the duplicates, there's still a ton of guys. So if you include the Bradys, Mannings, Breeze, Rogers, Mahomes, etc., you can sprinkle in a few others. Um, and that might still give you 10 to 15 elite quarterbacks in the last 20 years out of 450 yeah. guys. It seems to me that the smart money is on the fact that it's highly improbable that you'll ever land one of those guys a little bit better than a 3% chance. Uh, and that the higher percentage play is to assemble a good enough team that an above average quarterback and a good bit of luck will be enough to get you to the promised uh, land. There, there's nothing wrong with that statement. I will say the hard part is is a couple things, right? Assembling a great roster in the NFL is less about superstars and more about depth. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to have great depth in the NFL unless you are lucky or you are allocating resources to depth. The only way that you have great resources to allocate to depth is if you take a swing at the quarterback in the draft. And that's kind of where it comes back to. Because, like, I agree. The the issue in a lot of these instances is that we, we talk about quarterbacks. Okay, this is the 10th best quarterback. How much different can the guy be than the first best quarterback? Right. Well, I'll tell you. Tom Brady last year, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, the two, two most valuable quarterbacks in the NFL, both were worth about five wins above replacement. Kirk Cous Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins were 10 and 11. They were worth about two and a half. So you're talking about, and and for, for quarterbacks, it's about $10 million per win. So Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are worth $50 million, right? And so at both of their contracts, in the case of Brady, it's $25 million. He's generating $25 million of surplus value. You can either realize on the field, which is what they do, or in the case of a rookie quarterback, allocate to right. other players. Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr... Like when they give you 2.5 wins, that's 25 million. That's about what they make, right? So, and and to me, again, that just means you don't have any room for error. And so, so when I hear something like that, I think to myself, well, it's a lot easier to send the done to building a great roster. And particularly, it, you have to think about in terms of time spans as well, yes. right? Like you get Mahomes you can sign into the half a billion dollar contract and he's now locked in for the next decade. You have Mahomes for a decade. Your Super Bowl window just opened for an entire decade of play. How easy is it to not only assemble a championship caliber roster, but to keep it intact for a couple of years? It's almost impossible. Like teams like Jacksonville or Minnesota or there's been a bunch of teams in recent years that have gotten close to that point where that roster became really, really good right up to the point where they almost made it and then almost immediately it fell apart. Like, they got it together for one year. Yeah. To keep a Super Bowl roster like that together for a decade is just not even possible. The other point I would make is that, like, how many truly quarterback-proof, quote-unquote, teams have there been in the last 20 years? If we're saying there have been 10 to 15 elite quarterbacks over that time, the 2000 Ravens, the 2002 Bucks, the Broncos team with Manning, his yeah, second ring. Yeah, that's probably the last one, right, right? That's it, right? Three. So three of those teams in the last 20 years versus 10 to 15 yeah, quarterbacks. You, you, I mean, and that's part of like the birthday problem thing too. I like I talked to you guys about this. Like there's a, a, uh, there's a cute little problem in probability theory that says like, if you're in a room with 23 people, there's better than a 50% chance that two of you share a birthday, right. which seems kind of odd. Breaks everybody's brain. Yeah, it breaks you, everybody's brain. Not but, a but mathematical. The key, the key part about it is you don't know the two people, right? So weird things happen. I, and, and I say this to fan bases. I'm, I know I'm a buzzkill, but like <laughs> weird things happen, but they're not they're not that likely to happen the way you want yeah, them predictably to happen. Predictably, exactly. in a certain direction. Because it's actually like less than 10% chance that that person share, that anybody in that room of 23 shares your birthday. Right, which is you, the number that yeah, everybody thinks of yeah, in their brain. Exactly. So 
Yes, there there are eventually emerge teams that are quarterback proof. Like they they bubble up, right? And and they do in weird ways. Because that 2015 Broncos team was was elite because of Manning, and then randomly because of you know Chris Harris Juniors of the world and some and some truly good players on that side of the ball, but also some players you didn't expect to be good to be great. They popped up, right? And they end up winning a Super Bowl as a quarterback proof team. They also didn't design it that way, right? And so the, the the fact that there are quarterback proof teams that can win doesn't mean you should design your team that way. Like the tried and true, there's there's two tried and true ways of winning in the NFL. One of them is to already have an elite quarterback and to do your best to to build around him given what he makes. Or and this is this is the only way to get to this position in the first place. You draft a quarterback and either he becomes elite and then you're a long-term winner or you're smart about him for the first four years and you can do with the Rams and the Eagles and, and the Seahawks and those teams build around him, make win Super Bowls while he's, while he's, you know, inexpensive and then figure it out after that. The figuring it out after that part is actually to me, the most compelling problem in all of football, whether or not that guy who's good enough, you know, say like Mayfield, yeah. whether the guy that's good enough to get you 11, five when he's cheap is good enough to keep you at 11 and five when he's, when he's rich. I think that that ultimately is the problem that everybody's shooting for now. It's like, okay, if you have a Mahomes to a degree that, that it's easy, right? You mm -hmm. know that guy's locked in place. He gives you a ton of flexibility with a bunch of other things. And it's just kind of juggling how the mm -hmm. pieces fit around yeah. him. Um, if you don't have Mahomes and you don't have, you know, the, the Broncos team that dragged Manning to a, super, to a second Super Bowl, now it's like, well, where do, how do we juggle this? We have a quarterback that's pretty good. It's already it's stressing us enough when it comes to like juggling the rest of the roster because he can't do what Mahomes can do. But how good do we need to be before he can actually go on that kind of run and challenge a guy like Mahomes? And the Browns are right in that. That's literally the discussion that yeah. they're having this season. Is if they were certain he was in that category, if he he was above the Ryan Rubicon, if they were certain he was above that, they'd have paid him already. They'd have given him the Josh yeah. Allen contract, and we wouldn't be talking about it. They're not. They're leaving it this year and seeing how it plays out getting more data and saying okay this is as good as the team's going to get around baker mayfield if he can't you know take us to a super bowl or like at least if he can't um play well enough that we're confident that not just whether we make it or not this year next year we're in the discussion now we have to start talking about whether we resign him a hundred percent i think the ravens are also dealing with it too with lamar i think there's a little bit of confounders there in the sense that he didn't get vaccinated until just recently but they're doing the exact same thing and this is a player who's won an mvp in this league right yeah. that's how cut and and i talked about the the indianapolis colts the problem you know everybody says oh it's a good problem to have to draft good players well i mean it it is but there are very few teams that will stare a good player in the eye at a, at a non-premium position and say you know it's been it's been fun yeah the ravens are like the really the only team like cj mosley for example matthew judon although they gave him a tag but like and and i edge is a premium position i don't think it is for the ravens as much as his brother team is the way but like pressure, yeah. but that is really like the difficulty right and that's why you know when when we do draft analysis and we do roster construction analysis we say don't draft premium don't draft non-premium positions high because Ultimately, if those guys are good, you will have to pay them because no team has had, except for the Ravens in a couple of small circumstances, no teams have had the guts to sort of to sort of move on. This is, I can't remember where I read this, but somebody was saying that the biggest problem Dallas has is that they're, when you look at their roster construction, it's all their own guys. They don't yes. bring in all these free agents. They reward monster contracts for guys that they actually draft. And it's like, yeah, when you, you know, Tyron Smith and Dak Prescott, okay, Fine, we can, that, that makes perfect sense. But it, it's exactly what you said. It's like this self-congratulatory mm -hmm. reward of, well, look, Zeke Elliott was good. We told you he was going to be good. So we're going to give it's him- a trophy. The, yeah, so yeah. we're going to give him the $90 million contract. It vindicates everybody's work. Um, and we don't make the hard decision, which is, okay, we, we did the right thing. Or, well, okay. We made the right- uh, we, we evaluated a player as good and he ended right. up being good. We, yeah. made, we made the correct player evaluation right. in terms of an analyzing that he would be a good player, but the value ceases at the point where we have to pay him yeah. the giant amount of money. So we have to move on, even though we got it right. The fact that we got it right means we can do it again, means we shouldn't pay him. Not that we 
reward everybody in, in the process by giving him the, the deal. Yeah, and it's so hard because in most cases you're paying for what a player has done. Like think about Josh Allen even. Josh Allen is what, 43 million APY now? 43 million APY is about what he generated last year. So when you when you make that contract, you are essentially saying I need that guy every we, year. I need that guy every year. And it's I don't think it's fair to Josh Allen to to assume that out of him. Um, it's why the Mahomes deal, for example, is a brilliant one. It's why Brady taking less, you know, the, the Brady taking less thing is a little overblown, but on average it's true. So Brady taking less over time really did like it really was a fundamental understanding of of why things happen i i talked about this in that nora princiati article which was i looked at the orlando brown trade as negative ev i looked at the joe tooney signing as negative ev but when you add it in with the patrick mahomes contract which is you're getting a steal all the time even yeah. last year where he was a little down talk about four wins above replacement so even at 25 million a year that's a 15 million surplus value. That's a lot, right? So if you overpay Joe Tooney by four or five million, you're still, you're just paying yourself back, right? And yeah, that, that contract is such a fascinating one because also because it's locked in for a decade, yes. you have like the accountant, the, the accounting done well, but, for the next 10 years, you know what money you're going to have to play and with. Th and that's, the, that's also the important point about rookie quarterback contracts too because when we were talking about New England and whether they should start Cam or whether they should start Mac Jones, it wasn't about what they cost now. It's what if Mac Jones blows up and becomes a great quarterback this year, he can't go back right. to the table. It's the and be same like, money. I want more money. Yeah. If Cam would have come had an MVP season, you're you're kind of screwed because he's you're going to have to pay him. And and again, like I don't think teams realize that that what that what that edge is. And Mahomes really just gave the Chiefs a different version of that with a deal that was that long and hence. They're, they're eventually going to have to pay up, right? Yeah, there's yeah. going to be some point where there's a year where, you know, they they have to pay him way more than what he's being ma making a lot of these other years. But th that might be a year where they're just they're just playing with house's money with luck. The it, crazy thing about the Chiefs, other than the Mahomes draft pick, they've sucked at drafting <laughs> since, his, a, a, since, since he's been on the team. And they had the Frank Clark deal too, which yeah. is an, a, a, an albatross, right? Like... There's a lot of bad personnel so, moves. That so you can imagine it doesn't matter if the if the if the cards start flipping over good for them, like they might have a year where they're like, okay, Pat, this is going to be the year we unload sixty million on you, and that you we're just not going to get another free agent. But you can tell we built a nice little roster for you. You know, this is the year. That's what like the quarter having an elite quarterback is so fascinating in terms of the dynamics. I want to hit on one more in a second, um, but before that, we got one more ad read to break into i didn't have a segue i just had to okay, I just had okay, to hit okay. it. I, I couldn't find one i i thought there was going to be like a first line of the ad yeah. was going to give me a way in no uh week one may be over but the season's just getting started at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl to kick off week two DraftKings is giving new customers 200 dollars in free bets instantly when they bet one dollar on any football game uh, listen up because you don't want to miss this head to the DraftKings sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week two game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If uh, Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet at any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Now this is the real bit, right? Steve is a master at the terms and conditions. Dude can fly through them like it's nothing. I'm gonna give it a shot. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I'm more of a 1-800-9-WITH-IT guy. Than yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. How did you like the terms and conditions? Was you that, was that? Sam, you did fantastic. I would have never known <laughs> that, Steve, that Steve was the terms yeah, and conditions exactly. guy. I would never know. That's all I'm shooting for. If we can just get a seamless transition between Steve and it's me. Like, uh, it's like when a left guard, you know, like when, when a left guard's injured and they put another guy and, you know, John Madden's like, well, 
we haven't heard his name the whole time. Right. Like that's it's perfect. Like mm-hmm. it's it's you know. If it doesn't bring attention to, to you, you've done it well. That's perfect. That's that's all I'm shooting for. Um, okay, one more email. This one was sent from Kevin Oyer. O y e r. Let's go with Oyer. Um, I want your guys' thoughts on if the Seattle Seahawks ceiling is lower with Pete Carroll's run first and defense focused mindset. Um, would it actually be better for the team to have an offensive minded head coach? Uh, huge fan of the pod, yada, yada, yada. So this is an interesting one because Russell Wilson, I think, pre- presents very unique challenges or, or uh, facets to that whole quarterback elite dynamic and how that affects the team, right? Yeah. Seattle's roster is not particularly good right now. They have Russell Wilson, so we assume that they're still going to be right up there at the top of that division that's the best division in football right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as the, you know, Pete Carroll keeps taking these hammer blows over this insistence publicly that they want to run the ball more they want you know all this kind of stuff pete carroll is clearly a good head coach and can coach a team but like where does all that land how i'm really interested in the idea of because of the way russell wilson plays the game in this unique way of holding on to the ball a long time Mm -hmm. making a lot of his own pressure you know like this offseason like little temper tantrum of i'm tired of getting hit it's like you're responsible for half that hit like you're wearing the hot dog suit yeah, yeah yeah so but that's also the reason he does what he does, right? Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson drops back, runs around a little bit, takes a hit, but drops a rainbow to Tyler Lockett, and it's a touchdown. Like that is part of what makes him so great. So I'm this I'm interested in this dynamic of like, what is the best way of maximizing Russell Wilson? Well, you know, uh, Gabe Kapler, who's the manager of the NL leading San Francisco Giants, when he was the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, he I think one of the best quotes I heard from him was saying, look, like all of these analytical things give you like a edge, one or 2% edge. In fact, the reason why people like me are annoying on Twitter fourth down decisions <laughs> is because they're the one thing that can give you like a 5% edge, right? All these other things are like one or 2%, right? One or 2%, one or 2%. And he made a claim that, and I don't know if necessarily if you can support it, but it, it does pass the sniff test to me, which is, I can I can put a player in the lineup in one position and it it will in theory give me a 2% edge but if it takes away his comfort in playing the game it might eliminate it or reverse it altogether. And if if we're going to agree with your premise which is that Pete Carroll is a good coach. And I think again, I have to do this study. I actually should do this study. But like I do in in my intuition suggests that players play better th- for Pete Carroll than they would for another team. Okay. Like I, I think there, I think that there's some sort of coaching. There's some sort of like Dennis Green had this. Mike Tice had this for the Vikings, yeah. where players who were nobodies played okay football for them, and that I think that has value. There is no, there is no question that Pete Carroll tactically it tactically leaves win percentage on the field all the time. Mm-hmm. Fourth down decisions, running too much, um, you know. It, the just stuff like that right um you know running the ball too much and 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 the fourth down decisions i think they're the chief among them but if if seattle believes that carol is a elevator in one way the best thing for them to do is what i believe they've done this year which is you put shane waldron in you have a an offense that is nominally run first but it but it does so in probably the most effective way for the way that Russell Wilson likes to play football, which is, you know, the the outside zone stuff, the stretch play, play action stuff, the down the field shots, all the character all the characteristics of a McVay system, I think marry better with Russell Wilson yeah. than a traditional offense and coincide philosophically, even if he doesn't know it. Like even if he, even even if it's through the back door with what Pete Carroll wants to be as a coach, which is run first, establish all this stuff. So while, so my long winded answer is if, if they see value in Carroll, which they clearly do, and there could be evidence that he has value in some places, let's minimize the downside of doing some of the things he likes to do that are bad. Or let's, yeah. And that's sort of almost get it in through the back door of like, yeah, here yeah. we're going to start adding the smart things to this offense just in such a way that you don't see them happening yes. or don't like can't immediately throw a roadblock in the in the yeah. way of them. Because that think, was a crazy game on Sunday. Like, again, they never play 
games outside of one score ever. Yeah. And they handled Indianapolis on the road in a game that they were playing at 10 o'clock their own time. Like, I, th I think there, I mean, there is definitely something to this idea of playing for a guy, whether it's the head coach or whether it's the quarterback as well, I think is a big one. Like, there's definitely a level of, and this is where, like, Cam Newton came out and did that weird-ass interview. Was it with his dad? Where he was <laughs> talking about, like, basically, like, the reason they didn't want me there is because, you know, you can't have a Cam Newton sitting yeah, there yeah, and yeah. people would gravitate towards which me. Which I actually kind of agree with. Which is, yeah, it's a point yeah. other people were made. Doug yeah. Kide was making that point as well. It's one of the reasons they got rid of him. Cam, not Doug Kide. Um, <laughs> that, look, that you, there is an aura about this guy. Like, and that's one of the reasons why he's always had these sort of evangelical cam for hall of fame you know supporters and all this kind of thing but there is something to the idea that people will play harder for a guy who has that whatever that is and you know when i did the the sort of research on joe montana for the podcast episode we did like the number of games where it's like montana you know executes this incredible comeback from a game in which he'd thrown like three picks yeah, in the yeah. first quarter yeah but at no point was anybody ever doubting that Montana right. would get it done at the end. I mean, that Super Bowl against the Bengals, he was terrible most right. of the game. Yeah. But like, it didn't matter how many big screw ups he had. You, when they were interviewing Ronnie Lott or whoever it was, yeah. he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, once we got the ball back for Joe, we knew it was." But even even think about that team to what you're talking about. Steve Young was a forty million dollar quarterback in the USFL. I know it was annuity, but like, right. uh, you know backing up montana and that 88 team that won the super bowl against you know chris's bengals was like in shambles until steve until bill walsh was like were because he was like playing them against each other he thought that would bring out the best in both of them mm. and like with like five games left in the season they were like six and six or something and he's like no i'm playing joe the rest of the season i gotta right. make a decision here i think mike holmgren pushed him to do it by the way which i think is a low-key like mike holmgren deserves to be in the hall of fame in my opinion and then they went like five and zero or five and one down the stretch, run through the NFC and, and win a Super Bowl. And there is part of that like backup quarterback has to be like because a lot of these players grew up and rightfully so idolizing Cam, mm. and he's still like an Adonis looking guy. Yeah, yeah. Like having him as a backup quarterback, and you know there there are other aspects of this that I don't think are great. And we should we should be able to have backup quarterbacks who are alpha like alphas in the locker room. But like the reality of the situation is it might like if can't if Mac plays poorly in a couple games, there's probably a lot of Cam yeah, Newton yeah. fans as kids who are like, why aren't we playing Cam? He's amazing. I think ultimately Mac Jones has that as well. Like maybe not right now or the same yeah. degree, but he will develop the same kind of yeah. aura of they're going to play for him. But it's it's I think it's interesting to. Uh, there's no way of knowing what kind of power that has. But did you see as well the clip during the week of Von Miller talking to Teddy, mm -hmm. where he's like. You know, we haven't had a guy, just these little pep talks, you know, on the sideline. The stuff you see where, it get, you know, you get the mic'd up clips and the quarterback's walking down. He's just giving a couple of words to the offensive line or the receivers or the defense. And it, it in your brain, it's like, I mean, that's pointless. It's meaningless. Yeah. Like it's irrelevant. Like Von Miller, one of the best pass rushers of all time, is telling Teddy that those little pep talks, like they actually make a difference. It registers. And he was like, you know, we haven't had a guy here that gave us that feeling. Yeah since Peyton Manning. So you know, from the outside, you're looking at this like Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater. And like, I mean, is there much difference between the two? In which case you might as well go for Locke who might have a higher ceiling. Yeah. But from the inside, there's definitely something to this idea of they're gonna play harder for Teddy because of that stuff, because of the irrelevant stuff. And well, I, I, I said that you remember when Mike Zimmer like could not lose a game against the spread for like two years. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, Mike Zimmer's a great, you know, the. Now they're 0 and 8 in their last eight against the spread. <laughs> and you look back, you're like, oh, wait, maybe Teddy Bridgewater, who, like, who had Teddy Bridgewater was 5 and 0, 5 and 0 against the spread in New Orleans. Last year, they were 5 and 5 and 10 when he started games, but like, I think they were above 500 against the spread when he, like, Teddy Bridgewater has always been underestimated. He's always, like, sort of emerged above that. And, you know, he's not like, like, I, I compare him to Jim McMahon, right? Jim McMahon was like a skinny quarterback who got hurt a lot, who didn't have the greatest arm. But he also like won 27 straight starts once, right. you know, and like players played around him. He facilitated a, a, a Super Bowl winning team with a great defense. And even though they weren't an efficient offense, people like played hard for him. Like there's never going to be a game, I feel like, where, and we've seen this, where a team has an amazing defense and they have a horrible offense and the defense like it hates the offense. If Bridgewater's the quarterback, like he does these little things like, 
He doesn't turn it over. He does these little things like he he runs for five yards on third and eight to put the defense in better position on the punt, right? He does like weird stuff like that that I I agree. Like I think, you know, there are clearly better quarterbacks than him in the NFL that don't win as much. And I wonder if there's something about, you know, right. the little things he does that because like that was like always the case with McMahon too. Like he his statistics were terrible. And like, but he would always he would, he literally won like 70% of his starts and it was always you go back and watch his games and you're like oh yeah i guess if i was a defender i'd like the fact that he stayed in bounds there and took another minute off the clock before you know and i feel like there were there's also plays where bridgewater like is really good with his feet that he extends plays the touchdown to albert o was an amazing yeah. play where if i'm a defender i'm thinking you know this guy's giving me way more than maybe his talent would suggest. And I do think that that, all, that adds some value. All right, two more things I want to hit on before we wrap this up. Um, if you are one of the people that were talking about the Matthew Stafford plus Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay equals Super Bowl this year, you come out of Sunday night football like taking victory laps and running around going, see, told you. How do you think that whole thing's going to work out? Uh, so we talked about quarterbacks. We talked mm -hmm. about trying to get over the Ryan... Uh, the Ryan thing. I, I said, there's two ways to get an elite quarterback. You draft one and develop him and he becomes great. Or you already had a great one to begin with. I did nowhere in my, this is how you get an elite quarterback. <laughs> did I say, you take an albatross of a contract and Jared Goff, package picks with him and get a quarterback who's pretty good. Who's never been above that line. Yeah. So... Obviously, I'm willing to be wrong, and we're 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 wrong all the time. We're wrong about we were wrong about Josh Allen last year, at least. We're wrong about Justin Herbert. I think, um, I think collectively we we did not see the tail of Mahomes' distribution. Like there's plenty, so I could certainly be wrong here. But when I watched Sunday night's game, I saw a defense in the Los Angeles Rams that had two good players and a bunch of kind of just whatevers out there. Um, I saw a team that I think intentionally gives up plays in the run game which I think is positive EV most games. Um, but if you get behind, they, I don't know if they, you know, when we saw the Green Bay game in the playoffs, when they got behind, they were just unable to come back. And then on the offensive side of the ball, Stafford has always started well when circumstances change, right? 2011 was right. really the first year that That's he... That's a great way of saying yeah, that, actually. When, when, when 2011 was his first year starting in the NFL, and when Jim Schwartz was the coach, and they made the playoffs... He had like 30 touchdown passes right. in the first 10 starts. And then remember, he had the thumb injury. He's wearing gloves. He, you know, he didn't look great. And then he kind of petered off. The number of different times that the articles have been written about Correct. Like somebody's saved Matthew yeah. Stafford. Jim, Jim Caldwell. He takes Jim Caldwell to 11 and 5. And then by 2015, he gets Mike Lombardi fired. Then Jim Bob Cooter is like the next, you know, he and Jim Bob Cooter. And then Calvin Johnson retires. And we're writing articles about, wow, it's a new match. Because they had that eight comfort mm -hmm. behind wins in 2016, Calvin Johnson's first year in retirement. So it's like, oh, he's a new quarterback now. And then he gets all those coaches fired. And then they get they go with Daryl Bevel. And going into 2020, we're all like, look how great Matt Stafford right. was with Daryl Bevel. And it always that he always gets found out. It and, always just goes back to Matthew Stafford. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I will agree. Like broadly, Detroit's dysfunctional. Broadly, Detroit's dysfunctional. And so I get where people are like, okay, now he's out of Detroit. He's got a chance. But you look at the the players that Matthew Stafford was surrounded with. He had three first round pick tight ends: Brandon Pettigrew, Eric Ebron, and T.J. Hawkinson. Right? He he was surrounded by those guys. He had Calvin Johnson. He had Nate Burleson. He had Golden Tate. He had Danny Amendola. He had Kenny Galladay. He had Marvin Jones. He had all those guys. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but like there have been a lot worse supporting casts in the NFL and than what Stafford has. The offensive line has been okay, and the offensive line: Taylor Decker's a first round pick. Uh, Frank Ragnow's a first round yeah. pick. Like the, Riley Reef's a first round pick. The recasting of Matthew Stafford is this like poor unfortunate who never had any help around him yeah. is kind of wild. I think there's definitely an argument that the way he plays the game, in terms of like he, when things break down, he can make some special things happen. Paired with a guy who can like raise the baseline yeah. of any quarterback is an intriguing concept for like does the sum of that become better than either one of them on because their own? in detroit people gave but we have to be honest that yeah. like matthew stafford did not just do all this by himself in detroit he yeah. had some help he, around him i mean yeah kirk cousins record as a starting quarterback for the vikings was like four games over 500 if it wasn't for stafford <laughs> like the the problem like the the problem is i think 
the, the 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 comeback is always they never had a running game, right? Sure. Like the one year they had Reggie Bush rush for a thousand yards, and was they had the one couple hundred yard games. But the fact of the matter is, Stafford was part of the reason he needed all those comeback wins. Stafford was part of the reason they got behind, and I always and wondered, they couldn't run the football. And I always wondered how much of that was an intentional choice, anyway. Like, look, Matthew Stafford is here; he's the guy yeah. that's supposed to be the amazing quarterback. Why would we be well, especially in twenty eleven? Yeah, why would we be handing the ball off to some stiff in the backfield who's not really bringing much to the table? Especially in 2011, right? Where we, the, you look at the league-wide environment. 20, 2009 was when he was drafted. This was before the CBA. You're paying those number one overall picks a ton of money, yeah. right? And then 2009, he plays like half the season. 2010, he plays hardly any of the season. So you got to 2011, and actually the team like won their last four games with Sean Hill in 2010. You know, like they had a decent <laughs> roster. They had an easy schedule, and it's like okay, the clock's ticking. It's time to start winning with this first overall pick that we're paying a ton of money to like it's a different it was a different league-wide environment then and you're right they threw all the time they threw all the time because they were put in positions to yeah. throw all the time by the guy who's the most important player on the team which was him you have always sounded sort of quite critical about this idea of you know all of the rams resources on defense it's like tied up in jalen ramsey and aaron donald right yeah and i think your point correct me if i'm putting words in your mouth but is that this idea of like, if you tie all of this to two superstars, there's no depth anywhere. If you lose one of these guys, you're screwed, right? It, which yeah. is just a bad way of building a well, defense. Sam, what's, what is the Rams record last year if they're merely the eighth best defense in the NFL? <sighs> Probably not great at all. Like it's yeah. Seven and nine? Yeah. Right? right? Like last year, so I talked about this on the show. Maybe we were, we were talking about this before, but like, I feel like we're all handicapping the 2020 versions of a lot of these teams. Yeah. If you would have taken last year's Rams team with the number one defense already baked in to everything you're talking about, right. and you insert Stafford, they're probably competing for the NFC, right? Yeah. But the problem is, we saw it even in the divisional round against Green Bay. You take Donald off that team for 25 snaps in the second half, and they can't stop anybody. Right. But and, do you think that there's merit in building a defense around a couple of superstars rather than trying to get good across the board? I, I think there's nothing wrong with having superstars. Like, there's no reason they should trade Donald. Because they've done it in such a way that it's not even just that they have two really good players. Yeah. Like, the scheme hangs around those two yeah, yeah. guys. Like, Ramsey doesn't just do what he does, and, and that's great. Ramsey makes the next two guys in the depth chart better. Like, you're getting career years out of Troy Hill and Darius Williams because of what Ramsey allows you to do with the coverage. And Donald, the same thing. Like, everybody that gets plugged in as an edge rusher has a 10, 15-sack season because they're lining up next to Aaron Donald, and they're going to get five sacks just from a dude be running away from Well, him. and I, I think that that's actually a good way. If you're going to be a Stars and Scrubs team have everything leveraged on your stars. Right, which is what they're doing. The problem is that everything that was good about the team last year, except for the two stars, it's not guaranteed that that's going to be the same. Sure. Raheem Morris doesn't have the same intuition about Brandon Staley's defense that Brandon Staley has, by definition. Um, you know, they lose John Johnson, they lose Troy Hill. They're a little weaker back there, by definition. They've mm -hmm. never cared about linebackers, which I think is pretty woke anyway. But again, like there are teams that could exploit them, right? And yeah, you're not going to get Leonard Floyd's 2020 season in 2021. I just think that's regression. But even then, so, and I'm not saying it's going to be a drastic drop, but that's why I said if they're merely the eighth best defense last year, what is their record? Because because if you're if you're telling me the Rams even stay the same, and they have designs of wanting to be better, if the Rams even stay the same. They Stafford has to cover that spread, yeah. which is eighth best defense. You know what sure, they yeah, would have yeah. been last year, right? And and to me, that's the the tough part. And I think just even we we haven't talked about any really games this weekend, but I think that's a sneaky game this weekend to monitor, which is Indianapolis, who's very much a very physical team against a Rams defense that beats you with finesse, right? And beats you with the mind games. I think Indianapolis could the, the Indianapolis could run the football on the Rams and control this game in a way that the Bears tried to the other day and had some success with David Montgomery, but weren't able to finish with with Andy Dalton. And Carson Wentz could be just another Andy Dalton, so it might just be mute anyway. But like, yeah, <laughs> the, I, the way they hinging the entire defense around those superstars, though, to me is is an intri like it's a. It's an interesting way of building a team. I'm not sure it's wrong. Like, I'm not sure there's a, I'm not sure it's bad just because it's fragile if somebody gets hurt. 
to me, I, I kind of buy into that Tom Moore quote that I have as my pin yeah, tweet, yeah, yeah. which is, but, you know, Gruden once asked Tom Moore why yeah. Peyton's backups didn't get more reps, to which Tom Moore answered, fellas, if 18 goes down, we're fucked. We don't practice <laughs> fucked. Yeah. I, I, I like that, right? Like, yeah. why? There's no point in upgrading from Jim Sorge, because if Jim Sorge has to come in the game, if Peyton Manning isn't your quarterback, you're not winning games. So yeah. what's the point? But don't if you, Aaron Donald is not in the lineup, the whole season's gone. Blow I, it up. I think the difference, though, is even though Ramsey and Donald are extremely valuable, they're still an order of magnitude different than the QB. Sure. Yeah, that's true. So, so it's a, it's. I mean, you're talking about fractions of a win on average. But the defense is built with the understanding that those two were in there. Yeah. If, I, I, so I, I, like, I'm not just because there isn't depth beyond those guys. I don't hate that too but, much. But around the defense, though, like, is there a smart offense that can work around Jalen Ramsey? Definitely, like, in terms of like, you can. You can minimize the effect that Jalen Ramsey directly has on what you're yeah. doing. But I think the way they build a defense, it's very hard to eradicate the indirect effect that he's had. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But like we saw in the NFC divisional round, you know, even even like with just one wide receiver, which I thought was a weakness that Green Bay would have going into that game, they were able to mitigate the effect of of Ramsey and coverage. I agree that against and again, this is this is probably a good strategy in a league where ten wins gets you to the playoffs because there are that many kind of like negative EV offensive coordinators. Like I mean, they're I mean they'll get to play Todd Downing. Like, right. you know, so, so like that, that'll work, you know, but, but, you know, if you're trying to win a championship and I think the Rams are really trying to win a championship, the hard thing is, especially now where there's only one buy, you really don't get a shot at, uh, you know, the buy if you lose a couple games during the season, right? Like they might, they might like, I think they're built to where if everything goes right, they're going to be an amazing team. I think that they're not necessarily built to withstand perturbations the way that maybe some other more anti-fragile teams are. Last team I want to hit on, because when we started doing this uh, preview show on Sunday, you made me completely rethink my whole outlook on the Washington football team, which I'd been kind of positive on heading into the season, yeah. you know? And you said that the problem is, is that you're effectively handicapping last year's team. You're saying, well, they were here, and then they added this upgraded quarterback, and they've gotten a little bit better maybe on the, the back end with William mm -hmm. Jackson coming in. Very much. And you, t you add that to last year and you're in good shape. Problem is, this isn't last year's team. Nobody else is running with last year's team either. And their strength of schedule this year is brutal. And they're not going to be as good as they were last yeah. year overall. Here are the teams that Washington beat last year in their quarterbacks. Carson Wentz, uh, Andy Dalton, Ben DiNucci. Hmm. Uh, Joe Burrow knocked out for Ryan Finley. Uh, Andy Dalton again, Ben Roethlisberger, Nick Mullins in Arizona, and Jalen Hurts slash Nate Sudfeld. In the playoff game against Tampa Bay, everybody remembers how well Taylor Heineke played, and we should. It was mm. fun. They gave up 507 yards, and mm. that was the most they gave up all season. And that was despite the fact that Chris Godwin dropped like eight passes. In yeah. That game. So like, <laughs> <laughs> and and interestingly enough, in this past week one, when they faced uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Chargers tried to charger the hell out of that game. <laughs> like, how how many teams have a game where the quarterback's arm is literally going forward? That's the, the most one of the most absurd. The ball's tipped out a little bit. In my he life. throws it through the back of the end zone, and they call a touchback. He threw a thirty-yard fumble. Exactly, and I mean, good on Herbert. I actually I uh, tweeted this out, but um, Chargers receivers this past week had the high second highest rate of contested targets, meaning that Washington actually did a good job. Go or on. conversely, Herbert was right. You know, they were not getting open enough for Herbert. And it still didn't matter. Like Washington actually performed well in some key performance indicators during that game, and it just didn't work. And now, now they they got a, they got a nice one here on Thursday <laughs> against against the Giants, the three and a half point favorites, even with their backup playing. But after that, you have Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, now Flamus Winston, uh, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Teddy Bridgewater, and and Tom Brady in succession mm. in a row. Your court, you have the worst quarterback in all of those games. <laughs> and like people always talk about their, and, and granted, their end schedule. 
um, at Raiders, which shouldn't be easy. And actually, the at Raiders is after a Monday night against S- Seattle. So that they also have schedule difficulties where they face a lot of teams off buys, right. and they face that they have the six game six day turnaround before they go to Vegas. But after that, they have home to Cowboys at Eagles at Cowboys at Washington and at New York. So the last five games are against NFC East teams, which many of them will be bad. The problem is if you bet them over eight and a half. I think the most likely record they have going into that is three and nine. So like you're still screwed. Um, so that was always my handicap on them was that a they're fragile. We sorry I saw Fitzpatrick's already hurt. Right. But also they have a murderer's row. Like they have their schedule, and now that you face three teams with the same finish as you outside your opponents with 17 games, it was just never in the cards for them. I don't think. How powerful to you is? like strength of schedule before a season. Like if you just looked at a team and said, all right, I have a vague idea of where all these teams are. Now let's look at their strength of schedule. If that's how you worked, how close would you be to how things are going to shit pan out? Uh, it, it's for it's important. And you can't just use wins and losses from last year. You have right. to use like either the betting market information or an ELO system, or whatever we use. Like it's super important. Um, it's one of the reasons why San Francisco was given one of the highest chances to win the Super Bowl because they had the easiest strength of schedule going into the year. Um, but the other thing to look at, and it's important, is to look at sort of the other information. Like, how many teams do you play coming off of a bye? How many times do you – who do you play when you come off a bye? Here's a sneaky one for Carolina, and it's why I'd, even though I don't like them, I, I'm not a fan of you know a lot of what they do. But I never, I didn't bet they're under this offseason. Carolina has some sneaky, like easy aspects of their schedule. They don't face any team off a of bye. They, I, th- I believe, I have to go back. Don't, don't fact check me there. But even like week three, they face they they face a rookie quarterback on thir- a rookie head coach on Thursday Night Football. Like that has always been a historical edge where that's the first time that guy's ever coached in those you know three three day turnaround circumstances, and you get one of those. Like that's. You know, so Atlanta had a lot of those. Atlanta and Washington, teams like that have bad versions of those. Right. Teams like Carolina have easier versions of those. And that that kind of stuff can – if you're thinking about betting a win total going into the preseason, those kind of things can give you a little bit of a pause. All right. That'll do it, Eric. Thanks, uh, thanks very much for filling in for Steve. I, li- I like the way I get rid of Steve and I still get baseball references. That I can't. What, can't what did I say? Baseball. You were talking about the, uh, the was it the GM of the San Francisco Giants? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't yeah, escape game. him. Um, so anyway, Eric is the uh, co-host of the PFF Forecast. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll find their videos there. If you're not, you'll find their podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, I will be back tomorrow. I have no idea whether Steve will be back tomorrow, or if not, who's going to be in the chair opposite. But uh, tune in anyway and see what we talk about. We'll be previewing all of uh, Week Two's games even if I have to do it solo. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Uh, Huge thanks for Dr. Eric Eager. See you later.